I uh, hope I'm thankful to be here. I know I'm always glad to be in the house of the Lord. And, uh, glad to see each one of you here. And uh, Please bear in mind that uh, while I may be up here speaking for a while, we're all in this together, and we've got an audience of one, and that's the Lord. And in that regards, I, I need your prayers. Uh, continue, I'm always afraid to get up here. I know Brother Steve feels the same way, and because and, I want to make sure that anything I say is in the truth and line with His Word. and So my prayer always is that the Lord will, uh, either through me or in spite of me, will bless you with His message. I don't know many of you in here, and I certainly don't know what's on your heart, but the Lord does. And He can certainly take my words into however fumble or bumble or twisted I may put them and deliver a message to your heart, and that's my prayer is that he would use me in whatever way he sees fit to do so. For those who don't know you know me, I'm, uh, I'm from out of town, of course. I'm from the state of Texas, and we've got some great universities in the state of Texas, so I'll throw that out there for a little plug. But uh, I'm, uh, I live in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, I, uh, I speak one Sunday a month at Lubbock, and then I'm the pastor at Midland, Texas, down in the rich, all, all rich country of that part of Texas. And so I go down there three Sundays a month, and speak down there and then one Sunday at Lubbock. Uh, grew up from Texas my whole life and I, I come here to Fort Smith to uh, visit my sister. Uh, of course with the, uh, the problem we've had with COVID, uh, uh, we've all been restricted and pretty much kept in a lot. And, but now uh, <clears throat> within the last month, <clears throat> she and I both have gotten both of our shots. So uh, we're a little safer to see each other now and, and travel a little bit more. So. I'll come up this weekend and ask her if she'd come with me to church this morning. I, I've been very willing if I could have come and heard Brother Steve preach. Uh, preachers need preaching too, and I could have used some of it with him. Uh, just as a matter of kind of a little bit of who I am and what I'm doing, sometimes I find it's easy to uh, be distracted by speakers who have certain uh, idiosyncrasies or differences that people notice. and. I know if I see a man getting up there and speaking and he doesn't have a leg, I'm sitting there thinking for the first 15, 20 minutes, what happened to that guy's leg? I wonder what happened to his leg. Well, I've got one of those. I've got three and a half fingers missing off my right hand. When I was two years old, I stuck my hand in a printing press. My dad owned a newspaper, and I stuck my hand in a printing press, and it made hamburger meat out of the end of my fingers. I was two years old at the time. Fingers not very long then, but it just made hamburger meat out of that. They were able to save the stub on that, but... So I've grown up that way and I'm used to it and everybody that knows me gets used to it but sometimes people are often wondering and you know I, I've learned my parents taught me well and I can do just about lift and do anything. I'm not a good athlete but I played all the sports in high school, football, basketball. I was a receiver on the football team and uh, played basketball and baseball and all those type of things. Being in the newspaper business, that's what I did when I started out. Uh, I later learned that newspaper people don't make a lot of money, and so I went on and went to law school, so I'm an attorney now, have been for the last 40 years. But uh, being a newspaper business, you got to know how to type. So you, <clears throat> I learned how to type. My dad taught me. I ran the old typesetting machine in the newspaper office, and then when I went to college, well, I learned to type so that I could, as a reporter for a while, I typed news stories. So I know all of you have heard of the <coughs> method of hunt and peck. Well, what I do is closer to search and destroy. So, <clears throat> but I type about 55 words a minute, and so I don't think about it, and everybody knows me, you know, I, and I, humorously I get a reputation, I'm the 
shorthanded lawyer or the shorthanded preacher in Texas. And so you can almost ask any of the old Baptists in Texas, I can't remember his name, but he's got fingers missing. They'll all know who that is. So uh, <clears throat> that's what I'm doing. I also publish, because of the newspaper background, I publish a church newspaper called The Banner of Love. I brought several copies here with me this morning. If any of you, I'll leave them here if any of you like one. There's an email address in there. If you'll email, email me, we'll give you a free subscription first year. Usually $12, but we put on anybody and we have people that pay extra so that we can make sure that a number of people have uh, a copy. So, uh, But we'll give you a free first copy. We're pretty generous with that. So I'd uh, love to have you do that if you so desire. I want to speak to you this morning a little bit about something that it's a pretty basic, simple subject uh, <clears throat> that we overlook many times, or at least I have in my life. Sometimes I get accused of, of uh, I, 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 I accuse myself of reading the Bible and I'll, I'll read it and I'm just reading words and not really paying a lot of attention until I get down to what I want to call the meat of the subject. Um, the Bible is a great tool in this life. You know, there's people that tells us that tell us that you need to hear preaching and you need to read the Bible so that you can save yourself uh, eternally. So it's, it's for eternal salvation. And we don't believe that, and that should be one of our fundamental deals, but I want to talk to you about that because they'll insist that if you read the Bible, it'll help save you. Of course, the word saved is used a number of times in the Bible. Most of the time I have found is talking about saving yourself today and tomorrow. It's a, a great guideline and a guidebook for life. If you want to know how to live life, you follow the rules in this Bible, it'll help you get along in this world. Uh, <clears throat> but the gospel was intended for a purpose, but the purpose primarily was to minister to those people who are already the Lord's children. Right. That's what it's for. The Lord takes care of the savings. He puts Himself in your heart and in your mind. Uh, if you come to come here this morning to have me save your soul, I'm sorry, you're not going to get that done. I'm not going to be able to get that done. I couldn't, and I'd be scared of myself if I thought I could. But the Bible is a great teaching tool. For example, teaching tool in this life. For example, if you have to talk publicly, if you have to speak publicly in any way, it's a great tool in that regard. I remember years ago when I became, first became an attorney and had to go speak, and one of the first things I had to do, I had to go talk to a, a court of appeals. That's a panel of judges. And you stand behind a podium and they're right there like at the first row. They're right there in front of you. And there's more of them than you. And so it's, it's kind of a scary thing. And I was worried about that and thinking about it and trying to figure out how, how do I approach, how do I keep my composure? Because, you know, while I'm making it look like I'm calm here, my knees are shaking or, and I don't know what I'm going to say or do. And my dad gave me this advice. He said, first thing you do, go up and get yourself set. Don't say anything for a minute, but just get yourself situated and set. Make eye contact with everybody. If you look, if you're quiet just a hair too long, they'll wonder what's he thinking, what's he up to, what's he doing, and that's what you've got their attention. A lot of times, people will get up here and you know, before they even get to the podium, they're starting to speak. They don't get set, and then that makes you nervous, and you talk too fast, you don't take enough breath, you don't get enough air in you. Get yourself set, he told me. And, and then you get the judges looking at you and you get their attention. And I find that's true across the board. And I said, that's a good suggestion, Dad. Where'd you get that? He said, Matthew 5 and 1. Matthew 5 and 1 came out of the Bible. Matthew 5 and 1 says, And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up into the mountaintop, and when He was set, His disciples came to Him and He preached this wonderful sermon on the mount. When He was set. 
He got himself situated and set, and then they came to him when he was ready to speak. They came to him and heard him. This Bible is a great tool for you to use in life. If you have to make speech, and I, I had the opportunity to work for a politician in Washington for about four or five years back in the late 70s and early 80s, and I had to write some speeches for him in time, and I found out this book is a great tool for coming up with those phrases and manners, things that, that sound so good and make you sound like you're intelligent. Most of them come right out of the Bible. One of the most famous lines of all was John Kennedy's inaugural address, Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Well, that came out of his understanding of the Bible about, you know, you take care of other people before you take care of yourself. You help others first. Don't think of yourself first, think of others first. And that's where that originated. A few years ago, we had a, a man inaugurated. It wanted, I'll try to stay out of politics, but we had a man inaugurated at a uh, convention. I'm mean, not inaugurated. He was not. He was. He was nominated. My word, nominated at a convention. We had another U.S. senator, a well-known one. You would know his name, but I don't. I, again, I'm trying to stay away from politics. He was going to make a speech to him and nominate him, and he just said, "You know, this guy's been busy. When we needed a warrior, he went to Vietnam." And when we needed to come back and report, he did this. And he went all the listing about when we needed this. And he says, you know, he started the line saying, you know, we need somebody to go to Vietnam for me. Whom shall we send? And he said, let's send John. And John said, and John said, I'll go, send me. And he had that as a recurring through his team. He said, well, we need this. We need somebody to come and report to Congress. John said, I'll go, send me. And he, he repeated that several times about him when we need somebody. Now we need somebody to come run for president and said, who shall we send? And John said, send me. Go read Isaiah 6 and 8. And the Lord said unto uh, Isaiah at the time, he said, well, we need to send somebody here to send a message. Who shall we send? And Isaiah said, I'll go, send me. And it was right stolen right out of Isaiah, but it was a great speech and he had the audience stand after a while. He said, we need to send someone. Who shall we send? And the audience would say, send John. I'm making that up and putting the words in there. This is a great tool for you to know every day. If you want to make, if you want to talk good and sound good, if you've got to give a speech, go read the book of Proverbs throughout. Proverbs is one of the best teaching tools the Bible has as far as telling you some good phrases. There are phrases in there that you can use in every situation. It's a great teaching, teaching tool for your children. You know, if you want to talk about the problems of this world, they're in the book of Proverbs. Solomon is the wisest man in the history of the world other than Christ. And he wrote the, the uh, Proverbs, and he's got a lot of sayings in there that can apply to life. If you don't know how to handle, handle addictions or drug or gambling or, or sex or dope or, or uh, any of those type of things, they give you a hint in the, in the book of Proverbs. If you go study that and read that with your kids, you read a verse and say, now how would that apply in life? You don't have to worry about in introducing those subjects that are talked to your kids about. I get embarrassed talking to my kids about the birds and the bees. You don't have to do that. Solomon will bring them up for you. He brings them up and you can say, now, how do you think that applies? Well, what about this situation? It's a great teaching tool for your kids. It's wonderful. And it'll give you all sorts of thoughts and phrases when something comes up. Say, oh, that's in Proverbs and I can use that in my speech. It's such a wonderful tool. The Apostle Paul gives us another tool in here, and I'll spend my time on this. Apostle Paul let us know that you always need to know who your audience is when you speak. <clears throat> let us know who your... He said, understand your audience and know your audience. 
if you go to the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, Apostle Paul uh, was traveling and he went into the country of Greece and he noticed there they were all really uh, mesmerized by idols. They have all sorts of idols. And any of you that's ever had to take Greek mythology and all the gods they have, they have these many gods. And, and Apostle Paul walked down uh, the road there and he saw they had statues all along the way uh, idolizing all these gods they have. He got down the end and they had one called the Unknown God. They'd had a problem with a lot of their, their uh, livestock there and, and they were dying. And so they didn't know which God to pray to. They had a God for sun and a God for rain and a God for all these things, but they didn't have one about how do you cure sheep, I believe, at the time. Anyway, they tried several things and didn't work. And finally, the, the sheep were cured of this and they didn't have no honor, so they gave it to the unknown God. So there was, Apostle Paul talks about there's a statute there that's to the unknown God. Well, also in Greek, that's where all the philosophers are. So all these philosophers called the Stoics and Epicureans, uh, that's kind of the New Age philosophies they have today. They like to just talk about things, like to philosophize. So they asked the Apostle Paul to come and speak to them. So he's going to go and speak to these philosophers in Greece, these famous philosophers there. It's, it's, he goes up on top of a hill called Mars Hill, where they all met. It's his great, great sermon on Mars Hill. <clears throat> and they had an, a, a law in Greece that you could not introduce a new god. And these people, these philosophers heard that, well, Paul is preaching about this guy named Jesus. It's a new God, and he may be violating the law, and that's one reason they wanted to hear him, so they wanted to come up and preach about this. So he went up to preach to these philosophers, Stoics and Epicureans, to preach to them. And he talked to them, and he says, first of all, I notice you've got a lot of idols on the road here. I've passed by all of them. But you've got one that's called the unknown God. And he smiled, he's, I, I picture him as smiling and saying, you know, I know who that God is. And he preached Jesus to him. He, he knew that he could not violate the law talking about a new God, a new uh, <coughs> Savior uh, without getting in trouble. And so he found they had an unknown God. So he says, I know who that God is. I'm preaching about your unknown God and I know who He is. And he went ahead and keep, preached Christ and Him crucified. He understood the culture and he understood his, his audience. That's an important part when you're speaking. The Apostle Paul gives us great lessons in that regard. One time he was in trouble with the Jewish people. Over there in Acts, it's about the 22nd, 23rd chapter along in there. He was preaching, uh, he went and he was in trouble with the Jewish people. And the Jewish people had a leadership council called the Sanhedrin. It was split between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Those were sects of, of Jewish uh, population. And let me stop, and I will mention politics to this degree. You ever wonder why the Republicans and Democrats can't get along? They fight all the time. You know, if you want to understand the politics of the Sadducees and Pharisees, I mean of the Democrats and Republicans, go study the Sadducees and Pharisees. Same thing. They read the exact same book and they've got two totally different interpretations of it. One believes in the resurrection and the other one doesn't. They both, one believes that the law ought to be expanded, the other one believes the law ought to be very conservative and tight. If you look at that, that's pretty close to the way Republicans and Democrats are today. You think the Lord doesn't understand politics of the day? He understood the Sadducees and Pharisees. Go over in England, they had the Whigs and the Tories. You can go back in, over, even over in the Muslim countries, they got the Shiites and the Sunnis. Throughout history, men have always divided themselves into two kind of extreme philosophies. Go back and Jesus and the Lord will tell you in this book about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You read that and you'll have a better understanding about Democrats and Republicans and why they don't get along. They never have. Even... Back then, the Sadducees and Pharisees had a different interpretation. It was just the Old Testament. 
They had a different interpretation. One believed in the resurrection, one didn't. Now we go to the New Testament. What do we got? We got the Calvinists and the Armenians. Calvinists believe that you know that, uh, in predestination, the Armenians don't. They believe in salvation by works. They're reading the same book, and yet they've got two different interpretations of it. The Lord laid that out for us with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You go study that, and you'll understand politics. You understand you're not going to fix it. What we need to do is pray to the Lord and ask Him to fix it. We can't fix the problems in Washington, but the Lord can. Yeah. Anyway, Paul had to go preach to these Sadducees and Pharisees. One believed in resurrection and didn't, and they, they were going to kill him. Their purpose in bringing him was they intended to kill him. That's back over in the 22nd, I believe, 22nd, 23rd chapter of Acts over in there. And he went in front of them and he realized, I got Sadducees on one side of them and the Pharisees on the other. So he started talking about the resurrection. Well, that was the subject that they disagreed most on. Well, they got in a big fight with each other, stirring fight. Apostle Paul slipped out of the room. His people slipped out of the room. He got out. He knew his audience. He knew how to create a fight between them, and he got away. He, he was called conquer, divide and conquer. He understood it. Later on, in the book of Acts, toward the end, he goes in front of uh, King Herod Agrippa, and he's got to talk to him about it. He's talking to him, and he realized, we know kings. Kings have got big egos. And they like to be bragged upon and talked upon. And, you know, <clears throat> we we know no difference in any of our elected officials today. They all got big egos. They like to be bragged on. They like to be called sir and congressman and senator. They love that. You go to Washington, D.C. and you'll see it's kind of a hierarchy there too. Apostle Paul, when he went in front of Agrippa, he says, King Agrippa, you're the ones that understands the whole problem. He bragged on him. Bragged on him a lot. Apostle Paul knew who he was speaking to and he knew how to address him. That's the important point I want to talk to you about and I want to spend the rest of my time talking about it. This Bible was written to particular people. The writers knew who they were writing to. <clears throat> and you'll have people that will tell you, you hear it in this world of course, people will tell you that you're, this book is written to save your soul. If you study it and go hear preaching, hear Brother Steve preach, that you'll, you're, you'll be, get eternal salvation because you'll understand what you need to do. This book tells you and it gives you a lot of instructions. How we're to behave and how we're to act and how do we handle all the problems, the moral problems of the world. Everything that goes on, how do you handle it with your children? How do you behave? All the discipline things of the world are taught in this book. People will convert that many times into being, that's how you get eternal salvation. The word saved is used a lot. Many times though, it's used when it's talking about salvation from this world. Salvation today and tomorrow. We, of course, understand the Bible, and I hope we'll cover a little bit of that, that we believe Christ saved us before the foundation of the world, through Christ, before any of us were even born. And our eternal salvation is secure. We have what I call the blessed assurance. I don't know whose name's in the Lamb's Book of Life, but Apostle Paul teaches us we have the blessed assurance that we're the elect, we're part of the saved. So, if, But if we're going to take this book and read it, Understand it's a book for life. It's a, it's a teaching tool for this life. It's not for your eternal salvation. You don't come to church to get eternal salvation. If you're coming to church, I'm going to say you've already got eternal salvation. It's already in your hand. Look, let's look. I'm going to flip through here, Apostle Paul, a little bit. Book of Romans. You don't have to go along with me here. But you know, I told you sometimes I'm guilty of reading the Bible. And of course you start a book of Romans and you skip over the first few four verses because... It's just, you know, I'm Paul and I'm writing to this deal, whatever he skipped over, till you get down to the meat. Well, let's read a few of those first verses. Check the book of Romans, first, uh, first part of that is verse 6. 
He's writing to, he tells, I'm a Paul, opens up, says, I'm Apostle Paul. These are just letters. When you write a letter to somebody, you know, you know who it's from. Their name's on the return address. Many times you get a letter from me or another law firm or something, you'll see the law firm name at the top. You know who it's from. And then it says, to. Who's it to? And it tells who it's to. And then you go on with the letter. It's important to see who the Apostle Paul is writing to. Verse 6 of Romans. Among whom ye are also the called of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to those that are called. Called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God. I'm writing to those who are beloved of God and called to be saints. He's writing to people that already know they've got eternal salvation. He's writing to those that are already children of God. Now you go through Romans and you can read that. There's a lot of instructions. But keep in mind, I'm not writing to those people who are unsaved, uncalled, unregenerated. I'm writing to those people who are already born again, who already have regeneration. They didn't, they didn't get it from me. They got it from God. I'm writing to people. This whole book of, of the letter of Romans, chapter Romans, the book of Romans, is written to people who already have eternal salvation. Let's skip over here to next next book. Corinthians, First Corinthians, First Corinthians starts off. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Verse two. Who's he writing to? Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. He's writing to the church. People already in church. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Amen. They already got eternal life. They are sanctified in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to those. You know, over there at the end of the Mark, I believe it's 16 and 15, Jesus tells His apostles the commission to go out and preach. This is another one of those greatly misinterpreted. He said, first of all, I want you to go out in the world and preach to every creature. Does that mean I'm supposed to go out and preach to horned toads and dogs and frogs and horses and listen to people? Every creature? No. Paul tells us over in 2 Corinthians that every creature, when you, when you are made in Christ, you become a new creation. You are a new creature. That's who Jesus is telling us to go preach to. He said, he's telling Brother Steve, no, you go preach to people who already have eternal life, who are already regenerated, who are already born again. If you don't know how you're reborn again, go read John chapter 3, the first few verses. People talk about that's where you get born again, but nobody goes and reads it. If you go and read it, you'll see it's directly related to the action of the Holy Spirit, not you. You want to accept Jesus, you're going to have to be born again first because you don't even know you need Jesus until after you've been born again, called, regenerated. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, not the work of man. Me or you or you yourself, within yourself. He goes, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. He's writing to people that already are born again. Called. That's who he's writing to. So when you read in Corinthians and all the instructions it has, he's giving instructions to those people that are already children of God. Let's go here to 2 Corinthians. Went too far. 2 Corinthians, first verse. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth with all the saints which are in Acacia. Acacia is the larger region. I'm writing to all the saints that are there. I'm not writing to all you people who don't know Christ and you're, 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 you're alien, foreign sinners. You know, I kind of lost my word there. Alien sinners, those are people who don't know God. I'm writing to the people who already know God, who already have the Lord in their heart. The Lord's already put Himself inside you. He's... <coughs> 
placed Himself, as we learn over in the uh, chapter of Hebrews, God puts Himself in your heart and in your mind and in your soul, and you, He becomes your God then. Now, if you want to accept Him, that's fine with me, but He's already accepted you when that occurs. He's putting Himself... That's who Paul's written to. It's who he's writing to in Romans. It's who he wrote to in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. So in all these little opening verses that we just think are extra and, and you know, what I call filler material, they're not filler. There's substance in the opening lines. Uh, Galatians, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither of man, but by Jesus Christ. He says, And to all the brethren are with me unto the churches of Galatia. I'm writing to people who are already in churches. That's who he's writing to. And he gets over here and a few verses later, he said, But I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I, I neither received it of man, neither I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The ministry gets the, the gospel that's preached to you by revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't go to a school to learn how to preach the gospel. You get it directly from Jesus Christ. It's by revelation of Him. This is who Paul's writing to in Galatians. Let me go another one <clears throat> real quick. I want to emphasize my point over and over again. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. Who's Paul writing to? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at, at Ephesus and to the faithful in Jesus Christ. I'm writing it to the saints and those that are already faithful in Jesus Christ. He's not writing it to try to get somebody to come in and get their soul saved for eternity. I'm writing it to those people who already know they're children of God. They know it in their hearts. And, you know, I don't know who we don't know, and Paul didn't either, who's in the Lamb's book of life. But I have the blessed assurance that each one of you here this morning know it because you wouldn't be here otherwise. You wouldn't have the, the uh, uh, in, in, in unction to get up in, in, on, on a Sunday morning and come to church. There's a lot of people that are that you come to church this morning. You're here for a reason and you, you've already got it in your heart or you wouldn't probably even want to be here. Let me skip Ephesians now. Let's go over to the next one, which is Philippians. Philippians. Paul writing again. Paul and Timothy, the servant of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. When you go read this and there's instructions and there's good instructions in Romans. You know, Romans tells us how we're all sinners. <clears throat> tells us, and people go, well, you've got to go out and not become a sinner anymore. Well, let me know. If you figure out how to do that, let me know because I haven't got it figured out yet. But thank goodness we know that the, apostle, that the Lord saves us regardless of our works. He saves those He loves. He takes care and disciplines those that are His children. You may feel like I've been subject to the discipline of the Lord. and You have, and if you have, that's a good sign. That means he's, He loves you. He wants to keep you. But this is who Paul is writing to, and that's who he's teaching to in all these books. This book is not to save souls. It's to minister to those whose souls are already saved. It's to provide ministry and tell you how to get through this terrible, terrible world we're in. How you get through the problems. Like I said, if you don't know what's going on in politics, read this book and it'll tell you how to address that, how to handle it, how to, how to pray for it as you go through here. Go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. Again, Paul, did he write this book to the world, the whole world, so they could learn how to be Christians? No, he loaded to Christians so they could learn how to be better followers of Christ while they're in this world. This is not talking about the eternal salvation. This is talking about, I'm, talk, I'm writing to people that the Holy Spirit is already taken care of. 
Go to Thessalonians chapter 1. Thessalonians, Paul wrote. Verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. I'm writing to those who are already the elect. I'm writing to those who God has already elected, already given you your salvation. For our gospel came not unto you by word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. You know, we sing this song, Blessed Assurance. I love that song. <clears throat> you know, and I have people ask me every now and then, you know, out in the world, well, the question is, are you born again? If you're not, you better go get yourself born again. Well, I try to answer that sometimes. Are you born again? I says, well, I hope I am. I think I am. They go, you mean you think you are? If you are, you better go get... <clears throat> you better go get you get yourself born again if you're not already. Again, go back and read John three, the first eight or nine verses. That and you'll find out that's up to the Holy Spirit. It's not up to me. Up to you. You know, talked about it. We can't. That's like controlling the Spirit. We have no ability to control it. The Spirit determines the time and the manner and place that you're to be born again or called or regenerated. It's not up to us. Sometimes it's done very old in life. Sometimes it's done young in life. You know, we have the, the world will tell us that you need to get yourself born again. Say this little prayer, they'll tell you all sorts of things you need to do to get yourself born again. Go read John chapter 3, first few verses, and you'll, you'll find out it's up to the, the Spirit makes that determination. The whole world that I know of agrees clearly on two people who've been born again, and they know when they were born again. And there's pretty much agreement in the whole world. One is John the Baptist. He was born again in his mother while he was still in his mother's womb. The Holy Spirit entered him while he was there. Everybody agrees. That's before he was born. <clears throat> That's when he became born again, was before he was even naturally born. And the other one they agree on is the Apostle Paul. On the road to Damascus, when the Lord struck him down, that's when he was born again and regenerated. That's generally accepted. I mean, I, there's some people that disagree on everything. We can all, a bunch of us preachers can get together and disagree on a lot of things. But those are the two that are generally accepted. Now, let me ask you this. How much control did John the Baptist or Apostle Paul exercise in their own right, ability to get born again? None. None whatsoever. They didn't have a thing to do with it. Totally up to the Lord. You go read that, I believe it's verse 8, where it says it's like the wind that blows and comes where you have no control over. It says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Everyone. There are no exceptions. You don't go get born again on your own. The Lord takes care of that. Thank goodness. If I were in charge of trying to get somebody born again, I'd blow it. I'd mess up and blow it badly. <clears throat> and that's what the Paul keeps telling us. So that's who he's writing to. The gospel is intended to minister to people who are already children of God. That's what this Bible's for. It's not to save you eternally. It's to save you timely in this world. Uh, Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians, remembering out without ceasing, that's verse 3, your work of faith. I'm writing to people who have works of faith. He said, verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Do I know I'm born again for sure? I don't know if my name's in the Lamb Book of Life. I'd like to look in it and see. I'm going to have that power. But I've got the blessed assurance that my name's there. I've got a feeling in my heart and reading this, I know and understand how it works. I have a desire. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't earn it. I don't have the ability to earn my eternal salvation. But I've got assurance because He's put it in my heart. 
when I come and hear the power of preaching, it affects me. It resonates with me. I can feel it inside and I know it. I like that. I like that doctrine. I have assurance that I am. Let's go from Thessalonians over to Titus. We'll skip there. Titus chapter 1. The Pauls. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect. He's writing to people in faith of God's elect in hope of eternal life. That's who he's writing to. He's writing to those of God's elect. Now look, every one of these letters, I mean, a few of them don't start out that way, but 90% of them all start out, who am I addressing this to? I'm addressing it to children of God, those who know they're elect, those who are sanctified. Sanctified means set aside for a holy purpose. When the Lord calls you, He sets you aside for a holy purpose. Now, I can't say that all my acts and all my words are holy always, but I've been set aside, if I feel it, I've been feel like, and you too, set aside for a holy purpose. Now, what is that purpose in this world? This is what this book's about. To tell me what I need to do. I need to take care of my fellow man. I need to love the Lord with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and love my neighbor as myself. Titus, let's go over here to Apostle Peter. We'll get off to Apostle Paul. Let's go to Apostle Peter. Let's get too far. First Peter. <clears throat> Verse 1, Peter, who's writing it. Verse 2, To the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the elect. Now some people say, I don't believe in the doctrine of elections. But you know how many times I've mentioned that there's an elect? If there's an elect, then there's been an election. That election took place before the foundation of the world. If you're one of his elect, and that's who Paul, Peter now is writing to, it's the elect. Let's go over here to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, first, first verse. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's who this letter's from, Simon Peter. And he says, To them that have obtained like precious faith with us. I'm writing to those that already have obtained like precious faith. Well, how did they obtain that faith? We had a famous football coach one time years ago when I was a student there, came to Texas Tech, and he said, all my football players, I want them to have faith. If they don't have faith, they better go to church and get it. Apostle Peter here says, I'm writing to those that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of themselves. Remember, I'm a lawyer. I just kind of sneaked that one in. That's, that's wrong. Misquoted it. <coughs> They have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. You obtained your faith from God and Jesus Christ. That's what Peter tells us. And I'm writing to those who have already obtained that faith. I'm not writing to those who don't have it. That's not who it's for. If there's a dead agent sinner reading this, then they're reading somebody else's mail. And you don't even know to read it until the Lord has touched your heart. And you think, I need to know that. I need to know it and I need to understand it. Peter says, I'm writing to those that have already obtained, past tense, already obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Not our own righteousness, but through His. And he goes here, I'll skip this, but the first four verses, Apostle Peter lays out what the Lord does for us, what He's already done. Everything in those, it's, it's uh, according to His divine power. He's given us all things. He has called us to glory and virtue. Wherein we are given, it's given unto us. Everything the Lord does for us in the first four verses. We get over to her first five, and he says, now you take your faith that God has given you and put it to work. He says, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. 
Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness to charity. There's great sermons in all that verse there, all the way through there. We can pick any one of them and go through and preach about that. Huh? But he says, you've been given faith by the Lord. That's where you got your faith. If you have even a hint of faith, it, it came to you by the Lord. You didn't earn it on your own. But now once you have that, now he says, here's where your works come in. Go to work. Add to your faith. Add to your faith, <clears throat> giving all diligence. That means do it deliberately, do it intentionally, and do it aggressively. All do to add to your faith virtue. Virtue is a moral standard. We, we know. Be virtuous. Add to your virtue knowledge. Come to church. Read your Bible. Study. Learn about it. You're adding to your faith once you do that. You're becoming a stronger, as we say, stronger Christian. It's to make you stronger in what you already have. Add to your knowledge. Do these things. And he says, verse 8 then, For if you do these, if, for, excuse me, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to be extremely knowledgeable and you'll be very fruitful. You'll produce a lot of good fruit for the Lord. That's what, what takes place to you. He says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. You're blind and can't see afar off. People will tell you, Well, see, that's what works gets you, though. You didn't do the works. You're supposed to add all the, to your faith virtue and knowledge and temperance. Well, I'm telling you, if you've already got faith, you've already your eternal life, your eternal life is secure. But we're told now to add to it, and they're saying if you don't add to it, though, you're blind and cannot see afar off, and you have forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. When you start reading about people who don't do this, go back to the first. Who are we talking about? We're talking about those who have have already obtained like precious faith. I'm writing to those that are already knowledgeable of God because God has put themselves in and they are the elect. Now, out of that group of people, he gets over here in, in verses 5 through 9 and he says there's going to be somebody that's going to add to that and it's going to grow and it's going to make them fruitful. But there's some of those that have faith, some of those that are still among the elect, they won't do those things. They are blind and they can't see afar off. That's talking about in this world. You're blind, you can't see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Your sins are still purged, but you've forgotten about it. And we got some people, you know, we all know people that have been in the church at one time very strong and they've wandered away from the church. And when they do, they get caught up in the doctrines of the world and they forget their sins are purged. They think, well, I've got to go to work. I've got to do all these things to get sins. I've got to go to work and, and I've got to... As I say, you've got to hear the gospel preached. You've got to believe it. You've got to accept it. You've got to repent. You've got to confess. You've got to join the church. You've got to be baptized. And you've got to keep doing the work. You've got to give to the poor. You've got to clothe the naked. You've got to take care of the blind. You've got to feed those in prison. You've got all these works you've got to do. You should do those. That's adding to your faith. But he, Peter tells us here, though, I'm talking to those who have faith, but there's some of you that won't exercise your faith like you should. And when you do, you become blind. You can't see in this world. Come blind, you can't see far off, and you forget that your sins are purged. You forget this good doctrine that we have here that is so precious to us. That doesn't mean they, they've fallen from grace, as we like to call it. They haven't fallen out. They're still children of God, but they have forgotten that they were purged of their old sins. I'm going to go here to I think Second John. Yeah, Second John, uh, the book of Second John, written by John. 
the elder unto the elect lady. He's writing to the elect lady. That's the church. That's a, the, the church. Those are that have their eternal salvation secure. That's who he's writing to again. All these books are written to people that are the elect, the saints, the called, the sanctified. Go to the, the book of Jude then. Verse Jude, it doesn't get any better than the first paragraph of it. Jude, first verse, a servant of Jesus Christ. That's who this is from. Now who's he writing to? To them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. You're sanctified, sanctified for a holy purpose. You're preserved. You don't lose your salvation. <clears throat> and you're called. You know the, the calling. We know that's taken care of by the Spirit. Back to John 3. Spirit determines the time and the manner of the place. Some people like, like uh, the Apostle Paul are called in a very bold way. Stricken down on the road to Damascus. Some of them are called very quietly in a small, still voice. I can't say there was any dramatic event in my life that happened. But one day I just felt a lot different. I started listening and I hearing things that I hadn't heard before. I had a desire to go read and understand what they're saying to me. You go back, I want to go back and close with 2 Timothy and the uh, first part of this on a, a verse all of you know. 2 Timothy in the first chapter there. First of all, verse 7 it says that uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind. <clears throat> if you're afraid that you haven't done enough to work for your salvation... You're doing that. You're, you're thinking that because you're afraid. I'm afraid I'm not going to get salvation. I'm scared. What do I have to do to get my salvation? I'm worried about my mother or father. Did they not do enough? I'm worried about my children. Have they not joined the church and been baptized? I'm worried about all my friends. Have they not done enough? I'm afraid. I'm afraid they're not going to be saved. If I'm feeling like that, then I, that's a doctrine of fear. But we believe in a doctrine of love. Christ loved those even when we don't deserve it. He loves people who don't deserve it. And this, this eternal salvation is up to Him, not me. A Savior, if you want to apply for a job as Savior, you're going to, you, know, you look at the deal in the paper, you want to go apply for a job, and you go in, I want to fill that job. Well, you get there on this one, the Savior, they're going to say, well, two things. Number one, the job's already filled. And number two, it's already finished. Both of those, it's already done and it's already finished. So we believe in a doctrine of power and of love and a sound mind. When you understand the doctrine of grace, it puts a calmness on your heart. you got security in there. Sometimes I don't go all the way out and do what I always do, and I'm liable to think a bad thought before I get out of the building today. I, you know, we're all still sinners. But I've got the security of knowing my, the eternal salvation of my parents is not up to me. You know, we got some people today that still want to do good works for the parents. They may even go get baptized in their stead trying to go back and save a parent that they thought went astray. That's the love of God, though. They need to leave that up to God, the sovereignty and the love of God. There's, there's nobody that's going to go to hell that God loves and wants to save. He, that is His. He, we have a doctrine of, of power. He has the power to save who intends to save. You know, uh, Mary was told she'd have a, a, a child in the name of Jesus, and He shall save His people. There's no wiggle room in that word. He shall save His people. You know, we're told many times, I heard this used one time, Well, uh, <clears throat> that it's like uh, you, you were dropped into a deep hole. Now, Christ will come along and throw you a ladder or throw you a rope, but you've got to climb out of the hole. I'd be dumb enough not to grab over the rope or not know how to climb. 
what we believe is our Lord reaches down in that hole and scoops you out of that. It's up to Him. It's like, you know, things make common sense if we would just think about it. You know, if if my child is laying on a railroad track and there's a train coming and I can see it, I'm going to run up to him and I'm going to get the edge of the track and stop and say, now, you got to accept me. you got to come off the track. No. I love my child. And, my, and, and the Lord loves us a lot more than we love ourselves or our children. I love my child. I'm going to risk my own life to go on that track and get them off of that. I'm going to go all the way. I'm not going to stop short and say, now, you've got to reach out your hand and take mine. You've got to accept it or you don't get the salvation. You, know, you hear people say that Jesus is just crying because people <clears throat> won't come to Him or won't accept Him. Jesus has the power to save, and He did save. And the job is already finished. So we believe in a doctrine of power and love and a sound mind. What I want to point out though is verses 9 and 10. God saved us and called us, both saved and called, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That's pretty standard language, you know it. But let's look at the verse 10. But it is now made manifest. What does that mean? Made manifest. That means revealed. Opened up where you can do it. Now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. The Gospel doesn't bring life and immortality. It brings it to light. Let me just tell you this. If I came, this is the day's first time I've been inside your building here. If I came here by myself at night time and it was dark and I couldn't see, I'm going to reach over here on the, on, on the wall and that little switch there, I'm going to flick it up and turn the light on. And when the turn light comes on, I'm going, wow, this place is full of pews. It's got a pulpit. Did my turning the light on cause those pews to be there? Did, did it, by turning the light on, cause the pulpit to be there? No, it let me see what was already there. Hearing the Gospel lets you see, makes manifest. Hearing the preaching, studying the Gospel, reading and praying, it may let you see what the Lord has already done for you. When, you have, when that happens then, by serving Him, then we're doing good works and we, we will become fruitful and, and grow more and more. You know, <clears throat> in, you know us, us attorneys, when we're, you get a, a court case, something like that, you go have a, a case in court and you're waiting for the judge. And sometimes the judge takes forever to write their rulings, what they want to do. And then they'll send it to you. And here a while back, I had a case, a major case that took a while, and the judge wrote an opinion, and it was like 20 pages. Now, you know, when I watch movies, I don't want to ever know the ending until the movie's through. But when it was involved me, did I look at the front page? I just saw the front page briefly. I flipped over to the back and read the ending. I want to know the ending to this story, so then I can better read it. Alright? As to your eternal salvation, you know the ending. And it's good. You already know what the end of the story is. And it's all good. I mean, none of us can describe how good heaven is going to be. But we're not going to die. We don't die. We, 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 the minute you close your eyes in death, you open them again in the presence of your Lord and Savior. I, I'm told how good I think heaven will be. And I try to even exaggerate a little bit more. And I'm not even close. How good that's going to be. You're not going to have problems and cares of this world. You know the ending to the story and it's good. What can this world do to you when you've got such a wonderful ending? Now that'll help you go through the problems of this life. 
You've got a lot of problems in this life, stuff that's going on in Washington we have, can't have control on. I've got, I don't have control, you know, sometimes of my own kids, my own family, what I'm doing at work. I don't have those controls, and then I have to stop and think, wait a minute. The Lord has given me some eternal security. He's put it in my heart. That's good. I know the ending to the story. And it's good, and it makes me happy. We serve a wonderful Lord and Master. We should serve Him and do the best we can to serve Him and praise Him every day. I appreciate your kind attention and my prayers. The Lord will richly bless each of you. Come ahead, please, David.